0: Everybody, welcome back to the Hoosier Band Podcast. I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? Oh, I'm just wonderful, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm great, man. And know what I'm great about? What I feel great about that. We are joined by uh, one of our special guests today. You've seen this guy on MTV, True TV, host of the J Train and Freed at Noon podcast, Jared Freed. Everybody. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. How are you guys? We're doing good. How about you? I'm
1: okay. Just uh, you know, enjoying a nice quarantine.
0: <laughs> you really got to mm-hmm. like you're really sporting that that Freddie Mercury look these days.
1: Yeah, I like I went with the mustache. I kinda I shaved earlier, so it's really popping right now. I got some good lighting.
2: Very very gay <laughs> <80's laughs> look. Could actually play Freddie Mercury if you really look at it. Like if he you really I could. Would.
1: I wish I could. I, I don't have the body for it, but I appreciate it. I, I think he's, you know, it's a fine look. I, I kind of was like, you know, why not? If, not? if not now, when do I grow my
0: mustache? You know? That's exactly right. This is the time to take some shots and chances, you're right, with your appearance. A uh, couple of questions, cause we, we don't have you for a very long time. So, um, I want to get started. Uh, great comedian. I've seen Jared, he, he's great. Thanks where man. did you get your start? Where did you get your start in comedy? I started in New York. I started in the city. So and you're originally from Boston,
1: though, right? I'm from outside of Boston, and I went to Penn State. But then after school, I came to New York, and that's why I asked you before we started. I asked where you know, about your shirt. Um, and then um, after school, I came to New York to like work, and um, I just started, you know, writing funny emails to friends, and that became more of, you know kind of, that kind of, like, occupied more of my time than my actual job at the time. So I was, like, pursuing that and, you know, started taking classes and started doing open mics. And, uh you know, now 10 years later, sitting here in a quarantine with you on a Zoom. Like, you know, so it, that's how the, the normal progression is. What
0: was what was the job that you had?
1: I sold life insurance and annuities. So I was, like, running it's around really? cold calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, cold calling and uh, meeting with people, trying to figure. And it, you know, at the time it was like uh, it's funny because it kind of it's reminiscent of now. Like it's like a very it was like you know financial collapse two thousand seven the summer two thousand seven, um, you know, going into that fall when Bear Stearns is going down and all that stuff. So it, the atmosphere, the 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 kind of like where does the world go next of it kind of reflects what we're going through
0: now. Where did you do your first? Uh, open mic first time you got on stage with i went to
1: penny's open mic on saint mark's which i was told it's interesting because it kind of reflects like a little bit of comedy i was told like that was like the most open and inviting open mic so i was like okay that'll be the place i do my first open mic but i didn't realize like open and inviting to any weirdo but not really like Kid from the suburbs, looking guy who just worked in finance. So like, um, like you could go there and scream for your seven minutes, and people would go whoa. But if I like <laughs> talked about dating, it was like, what are you bragging? Like it was like very weird. So that was my first one. Um, I remember it; just didn't go well. But it, I, I, it was like a Tuesday night, and I'm like there till two in the morning, and this was kind of beyond what I was used to. So um, I just, it was, it was more of like a oh, wow, there's a whole nother thing going on. Like, I didn't realize there was a whole scene. Like, I just was like, I'll go do an open mic, and that was it. So then I did Penny's open mic, and it, it was, like, music and screaming and poetry and, and some stand-up. And I tried and didn't go well, but I tried again.
0: I remember you – I remember, like, running into it at the mics. I remember you at the mics at Eastville. And it's amazing how you kind of, like, shot up the ranks the way you did – so, question is: When did you get your first big break, and what was it?
1: Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if there was a. I've been pretty consistent. Like, I, I don't know. I've always been like, you know. I think when we'd see each other at Eastville, like I was always, I, I always kind of. I think it's kind of. Um, you and you get always went a, up early, and you always yes. went up early. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm gonna. What I was gonna say is that I treated. Like, to me, I was like, I have to make, I was trying, how do I turn stand-up and getting better at it into a regimented mathematical type of thing? And I had heard Bill Burr say on, like, a podcast, like, he just tries to get one new minute a week. And I was like, that's a good way to look at it, because if you, and he was saying, if you get one new minute a week, you'll have 52 minutes in a year that's an hour and I was like okay that takes kind of the emotion out of it you know where you're like I suck I suck I suck it's like okay but I got that new minute you know I have that new thing that I didn't have last week this week was a win so I kind of like stayed to that where it's like what's the new minute what's the new minute
0: and that's easier said than done though
1: well you know what the way I kind of rationalized it was you know if I have a new minute a week in 52 weeks, let's say 20 minutes of it is, is good and workable and usable. Okay, that's 20 minutes. It took me 52 weeks to get to 20 minutes. That's okay, but I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't go for the 52, you know, and maybe next year will be better. Maybe next year's 52 minutes will turn into 22 good minutes. And, and, and you know, for me, I've always saw this as a career and always thought of this as starting my own business. And I've never, you know, and some of that makes me sound less fun when I talk about it. But it's what helps me go, you know, take away some of the emotional aspects of doing this. So, you know, where you, so you do 52 minutes a week. And then to me, I was like, okay, but I have to get on stage three times a night in the beginning. That was another thing I was told. So if you get on stage three times a night in three different open mics. So I used to go to Eastville. And I'd bring with me a pad of paper and a piece of tape, and I would tape up the list and put myself first so that I could do a 5 o'clock, a 6 o'clock, and a 7 o'clock, and I'd be done by, you know, 8, 9 o'clock, and now I got my 3 in. So, like, this was, like, all to math it out. And, like, you know, and trying to figure out how – and so – and just at, with the goal of being better. And then also during the day, I, I was always, like, you know – Looking for opportunities online. I think right now you guys have a podcast. That's great. Like, I was started my podcast seven years ago because I love podcasts and I felt like I was late. So you know, it, it, now looking back, I'm like people will look at me and go, "Wow, seven years ago." I'm like, at the time, I was like, "Man, I'm so late to this podcast thing." So, it, it and and then you know, over seven years, there's been good times, bad times. There's been slow months, good months. You know, you have better. So. I think for me, it's been being consistent and always starting my own things. Like I've never waited for some, like if I waited for someone to cast me in a sitcom, guess who'd still be waiting? So it's, it's like, I'm going to do, you know, and also like anytime I'm having fun with something and enjoying it, how do I package that? What does that turn into? What's the show? What's the thing that, you know, can maybe get you paid one day? So like I started talking about literally a tweet, this is an example, but like I tweeted about charcuterie over the summer, last summer. Now for now I've become known by some people as a guy who talks shit on charcuterie. Like this is like a dumb thing, but people liked it so much uh, that I was like, and I like doing it. And I like talking shit that like, you know, that becomes something that I'm like, okay, how do I make my own charcuterie show or my own, or how do I translate that to Instagram? So it's like, you know figuring out things that i enjoy doing that the audience also enjoys and kind of make figuring out like how does that how do i weaponize it that's kind of always been my thought
2: i think it's great because you know a, a lot of people don't understand like everybody starts off somewhere but if you are serious about something you have to treat it like a business yeah it's very very true i mean everybody's path is different like you're saying you 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 did open mics three nights a week like i was very different when i started i mean i was you know you guys every know,
1: night three a night every night i don't right.
2: want to get get yeah no sure i mean but like a lot of people um i mean i don't personally work in the city a lot and i see so many people who you know after eight nine ten years finally went on the road and did like a hosting gig on the road for a week and i did that in nine months so everybody's yeah. path is very very different but i'm glad you brought up the business aspect because people don't realize that uh there's a very fine line between doing it as a hobby and doing it as a professional.
1: Yeah. It's you know, the, to me, the, that was always the goal. Uh, how do I be able to live off of being funny? So that, um, and keeping that in mind that like, you're doing a thing that doesn't really matter. No one needs you to do this. No one needs you to go on stage. No one needs you to start a podcast. No one needs you to tweet. So having those things in your head and being realistic, like, you know a big break like i did some you know i i don't really know like i think
0: a big break has been i don't know like figuring out that getting maybe on mtv because that kind. i remember when you got uh what was it, philosophy or something remember that yeah i did that yeah i I never did that guy code i like missed
1: the cut um i kind of missed the window i think i got in you know i didn't i didn't like even audition for that but i i did a show on mtv but like that MTV show, they were gonna use something that I had put out online on Facebook. If Facebook invites could talk, I made this like with a friend of mine. We made a video where they, people used to send out Facebook invites, and the Facebook invites. I was like, what if the invitation could talk? And I did the girl, and Chris Stefano did the guy, and I like. I remember it all that. To, yeah, and I wrote it up, and it's probably still online somewhere on one of my pages. But when I put that up. Then I get contacted by, you know, oh, we're doing a show and we're going to do a thing like that. So why don't you like like it wasn't like I, you know, like they they were going to like use the idea so that I think they felt bad and they put me in it. So, like, it was it, it, again, this is all like self-starting, trying to figure out, like, if I enjoy doing something, put the time and effort into it. And hopefully people enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing it.
0: Now, you're a big sports guy, too, aren't you?
1: I like sports. I, I enjoy, uh, you know, I'm a, like, I'm a Celtics fan. I like the uh, like Patriots probably more than anything. Uh, Penn uh, State football. Really? I, I love the Patriots. Yeah. What? Should I should I find new parents to yes. bring me up a different way? Than yes. yes. I'm sorry. You don't like success? No,
0: I don't. don't. I'm <laughs> a, a Jeff fan. I'm a Mets fan. I'm, I'm a Nets fan. Okay. I, I'm an Islanders fan. Yeah. It, it, Life hasn't been good to me. That's okay. Some people have
1: it easier than others. That life sucks. Yeah, my <laughs> life sucks.
2: <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day who was like the, the five greatest athletes in their sports. Mm. And so, I, so I go, obviously I go Michael Jordan. I go Babe Ruth. I went Wayne Gretzky. Uh, and nobody gives a shit about soccer. So we skipped over that one. And I mm. said Tom Brady. And they looked mm. at me like, you're a Giants fan. I go, it doesn't mean if it's from a Giants fan or not, the guy's fucking phenomenal. You know what I mean? He really is.
1: It's tough to rate a football, like, athlete just because it's so specialized. Like, I like, I mean, like, I'm a Brady, huge Brady fan. It's going to be weird for me to see him in Tampa Bay, but it's kind of like, it feels like my dad got a divorce and he's trying to act young. Like, it kind of <laughs> feels like that, where it's like, I, I love my dad, but I'm like, I'm kind of, like, keeping my distance from my dad, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, like he's wearing, like, sneakers with jeans and the, the shirts with the pastels under the cuffs. Like, I, I feel like that's where Brady is in his life. So I – but, uh, you know, I, as far as the greatest football player – like, I, Brady's story to me is inspiring. Like, this guy was the four-stringer on the Patriots before that. They tried – he was playing for Michigan – they tried to get him. He was splitting time after he had won a Big Ten championship. Like, like, this guy, like, he wasn't always dating Giselle. Like, his story is actually, like, pretty wild, you know, to like in, in the – if you look at him compared to, like,
0: other successful
1: quarterbacks.
0: Sure. Uh, Jared, in, w- you're, you're a pretty smart guy. You're, you're, you're around a lot. With everything that's going on, do you see sports coming back? Anytime yeah, I think, I
1: think there's too much money to be made. Follow the money. Like, I think, like, you even hear it now. They're, like, they're going to do, like, basketball or baseball was, like, we're going to bring back baseball. There's going to be no, like, and if someone gets the if someone gets COVID, okay, he'll be taken away and we'll watch the rest of the team. It's, like, yeah, that's what people do when there's a lot of money at stake is they rationalize. So, I think baseball is going to rationalize just like football. Just, like, there's too much – you know just like the banks too big to fail I think so is sports uh, where there's a way to make money there's a way so I I, I, I don't know if it will be right like quote unquote like the right way but I just think they will come back
0: yeah um, and this sh- listen our, our podcast is called who's Your band we you mm. know we, we talk about music primarily and you turned Sean and I onto a great band dude um, you didn't know about them St. Paul and the Broken Bones, didn't hear of them, put them on, they're fucking great.
1: Aren't they great? They're great. I'm not like a big music person at all, I'd be lying. I don't like, that's not my thing. Like I'm very much like, if I hear it and like it, so like top 40 could be playing if I'm tapping my toe, I don't care. Like I'm I'm like a, I'm a music pig, I'll eat anything. Um, But I heard St. Paul and the Broken Bones, do a set on Letterman. Before Letterman. And you can find that online. It was such like, it's so good. It's such, it had, I like, so what I've come to find from my own music taste, which is not very smart or very knowledgeable at all, um, is that I just like instruments. Like, I just like hearing instruments. It just feels good to hear that. And it puts me in a mood. And they have have the horns. They got the (laughs) horns. They got, you know, this guy who, doesn't look like a front man and he's got exactly. the weird glasses and he, they, they had that call me song and I listened to that and I kind of just went and like searched them out from, you know, from iTunes or from Apple music. And so now I listen to them, Nathaniel Radcliffe and the Night Sweats. I like them. So like, uh, yeah, thanks to the algorithm, you know, like, it's like t- taking me into like that section of music I just happen to like.
2: Yeah. I had a friend who uh who was really into them and uh he's more into that vibe of like the uh like Nathaniel Rayliff, Alabama Shakes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh he sent it to me about, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. And I'm like, I, I never I heard the name, I never heard of him. And then like it was on my like I have like a little cheat notes of like when my friends tell me what to listen to and stuff, and it's on there, and then I got the email saying this is your band. I'm like, you know, I gotta check this out. And I mean four hours today. That's all I yeah. listened to all day you're great you're so good i so good
1: it, it puts me in a mood you know like and i i, I sometimes you know there's different music for different moods um sure. for this one it's just like i don't know the horns maybe that's horn. i don't know what it is it's the horns.
0: it's the guy's voice he sounds like otis redding meets Philo green yeah yeah you're absolutely right yeah he uh and and
1: I've tried to go see them. They were in New York and I got tickets and I ended up having to miss it because I had shows come up. And I definitely still, I, like, I I just have this vision of seeing them in a bar. Like, of course they're bigger than that, but I, I like, the, the music makes me think of seeing them in a bar where I'm drinking from a plastic cup, it's kind of sweaty, and, I, and you're having a whiskey drink and you're just like, having fun at like a roadhouse type of bar. Like, they, and it puts me in that kind
0: of mood. Yeah, yes. they're, a, they're a little bit of like a, a throwback too, because um, when I'm listening to them, I'm like, like, I'm writing down notes on who comes to mind who they remind me of. I'm thinking Blood Sweat and Tears, The Fabulous Thunderbirds. And the song that really stood out to me was Like a Mighty River.
1: Yeah, that's a great song. And see, that's the thing, like, I, I'm such like, you guys are, are passionate, and that's great. I'm such a music like like nothing <laughs> like like my <laughs> girlfriend is the biggest music fan uh she loves fish, the Grateful Dead. I went with her to a a fish concert and I, I kind of like was like flying in the wall, just like, let's see what this is all about like of course, fish fans have their reputation, but it it was like it was a lot of fun it was like a very nice time um and it's like like i would like it's it's interesting when I see like bands you don't want to like i don't want to like um you know uh, uh i don't want to appropriate someone else's uh, fandom you know <laughs> like i i because like i'm just like the way i came across this band it i it is one of those things that like i could be like yeah you know i love the instrumentals but like i just like how it sounds you know it puts me in a
0: good mood hey what's so what's your favorite song by uh, by uh, saint paul and the uh, broken bones
1: What's the one I like? This is again like it's like it's the way I consume music. When I hear fans, I'm always like, man, I wish I like even thought to remember. Like I I like the newer I I like that one, the um, the call me song. I think
0: that's the
1: big
2: hit, right? That's their first big hit.
1: That's their first big hit. But I I there was
0: another song that I How about flow with what about flow with it?
1: I like that. I'm trying to see Young Sick Camilla is their new album. And I like um, is it Hurricanes or Mr.
2: Invisible? Mr. Invisible.
1: I I think that's the one.
2: Now they've only had three albums out, correct?
1: Yes, only three. Hmm.
2: I, I kind of see them, uh, well, not this year, obviously, but doing like the whole FUD uh, festival uh, scene. I, actually, that- I, they were touring big time,
1: and I, I was like, really wanted to see them and just to see what a concert with them was like, you know?
2: My friend saw them in New York, I think at the Bowery Electric, like a really That's small. where I had tickets to. At the great venue. Uh, and he said it was just, like, ridiculously off the hook. And this guy goes to, like, huge Dave Matthews festivals and, you know, every every huge band like that. You know, again, the Fish concerts and stuff like that. And he said it was one of the best shows he's seen in a very long time.
1: Yeah, man. I, that's, that's, like, I, you know, it's it's funny. It's, like, you want, when you become a fan of anything, you just want to hear good things back. Like, you want to hear that they're cool. You want to hear that the concert was well done. You know, like, you know, you want to hear that their shows were good. It is, it's like nice to hear that.
2: Oh, I agree. The the funny part was I, I, I texted a bunch of friends today and said, have you heard of this band? And a couple were like, yeah, I've heard the name, blah, blah, blah. And I sent them the video for Call Me. And one replied back and said, great song, couldn't look at it. The guy reminded me too much of Ricky from Better Off Dead. Ricky who? Ricky from Better Off Dead, the movie.
1: That's a, it's so funny how, like, that stuff, like, takes over for people. Like, some people are just like, it. like, I don't like the look of it. Goodbye. You know, like, yeah. it's like, oh, oh yeah. For
2: that. I, was, I thought it was it was really, really funny when I heard that, though. Because the guy truly does. If you really look at it side by side, the guy looks just like him. Now I got to look. Oh, yeah. It's great.
0: Uh, we are joined by radio host, comedian, actor, author, Goomba Johnny Solano. Hey, John. How are you? What's up, Jeffrey? Great to see you. Hey, do you know Sean Morton and uh, Jared Freed? Uh, yes. I, I don't know Sean as well as I know Jared.
3: But,
1: uh, What's up, of... Johnny? How are you?
3: I have to tell you, you made me laugh the other day. I saw you on Instagram, and you were commenting on... You had a comment on some guy wrote this girl. <laughs> I'd like... <laughs> I'm dying to taste you.
1: Oh, my God. It was so... <laughs> We yeah, so right into the podcast, I'm dying to taste you. And it was the grossest thing. It was so off putting.
3: Yeah. It's like. I, I <laughs> it, you, it, they weren't even talking to you and you were offended. That's what I. Yeah,
1: ugh, it was because it was yeah. like they're dirty talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I know. And then after <laughs> I read that, I skipped lunch. So I want to thank you for that.
1: I, I got you, buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, good to see everybody. Jared, thank you very
0: much, man. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you. Yeah. Have
1: fun. Yeah.
0: Johnny, yeah. how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Hey, a um, lot of questions, so let's just get into it right away. One thing, okay, so radio host, comedian, actor, author, but I don't think people know this about you, John. You had a chance to play pro football, yes? Uh, yeah, when I got out of college,
3: uh, I signed a free agent contract with the Jets, and then um, the next year I signed a contract with the uh, Giants. Where'd you play in college? I went to a very small uh, teacher's college in uh, upstate New York called Brockport, Brockport State University.
0: Sure. And did you, want um, you wanted to be a teacher? Um, yeah. You know, uh,
3: oddly enough, this is even stranger than my, my, my football pursuits. Um, I, yeah, I ended up getting a degree in science. Um,
0: I didn't which, know that about you.
3: Yeah, which uh, is not talked about a lot. It's it's not it's not it's not the it's
0: not. I'm going by Johnny. I'm not I'm not the scientist. Johnny, so, I mean, so you're the low key most fascinating guy in comedy entertainment. Um, what position did you play in in football?
3: Well, I went to college and um, I was a defensive tackle in college, and then I um, wow, oddly I mean, and oddly. Not- and, Oddly enough, when I was in, uh, uh, when I was a junior in college, my coach said, uh, "Told me we 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 had we didn't have a big college. I mean, I was Division three. We only had five hundred people come to our games. So I was going into my senior year, and my coach said, you know, somebody from the Seahawks called us up yesterday, and they wanted to know about you. They wanted to know what you weighed, and so on and so forth.' And you know." Um, and I'm like, why would they call here? You know what I mean? And he, <laughs> and he started laughing. So he goes, no, I think you might have a chance to sign on with a team. You're going to have to gain some weight. So um, I think at the time I was like 245, and I gained an additional 20 pounds. I played the next year like at 260,
0: 265. I guess back, no, that, that was what the defensive tackle probably would have weighed, right?
3: Well, well I got, when I got to the, to, to the Jets, they switched me to offensive guard. Um, so I had a switch, not only was I the only person, the first person to sign a professional contract, so I'm told out of that college, I got switched positions and I, um, I got switched to offense. And uh, it was very interesting, because uh, I was- Who spoke in the Jets? Uh, Walt Michaels, I was rookies with uh, oh, Marty yeah, Lyons. Right, yeah, yeah, I was rookie with Marty Lyons and Mark Gastineau. I actually, my locker was in between this. Um, which was pretty funny because everybody knew who they were and they're like, who's the guy in the middle? Uh, <laughs> but it was funny. It was, it was interesting. Um, it was good. Um, you know, I mean, it was, it, you know, I, I came from, the, uh, such, I played such a small brand of football and I switched positions. Uh, so the speed of the game was a little bit too much for me at the time. Um, and then the next year I signed up the giants and I got hurt. I, uh, we were playing, uh, we were playing the Patriots in the, in the Yale bowl in the, in the exhibition season, and uh, I had a neck injury, and that was it.
0: And what did you make to uh, get into first? Was it radio or stand-up?
3: I managed a, uh, uh, I managed a comedy club in the '80s in uh, in Westchester, and um, I had to get up on stage one time because people didn't show up. So, like in other words, I, I when I managed the club, that was like at the height of the comedy s- hysteria. You know, we had everybody, at we were just a local club in Yonkers, but um, we had anybody who's anybody today, you know, literally played at our place. And uh, one day somebody didn't show up and I started to host. And then I realized if I host, because I, I was managing the club, I could take that additional money and get better headliners whenever I chose to host. So um, I did that and then, uh, um, for a while, and then I stopped. I got, I got into the nightclub business for eight years. Uh, then I accidentally got into the radio business. Uh, and then once I got into the radio business, I decided to uh, you know, diversify and, and do some stand-up comedy.
0: And where were you where were you from? Were you from uh that Westchester area? Uh, from the
3: from, uh, born and raised in the Bronx, and then we moved to Yonkers. Oh,
0: okay.
3: Um, so they call that bro-yo when you're Bronx Yonkers.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Um and what you're up on stage, you're watching all these great comedians. Who were some of your influences? Uh number one, uh
3: John Mulrooney. Oh,
0: well, still around.
2: He's amazing.
3: John Mulrooney. Um uh he gets so mad at me when I tell this story because um, I I really I just I can't tell you how much I enjoy his sense of humor and I watched him on stage and I saw a little bit of myself in him and I said to myself I think I could do it um you know I I have some common ground with this guy you know what I mean I, I he just inspired me. And I, you know, years later, I told him, I said, you know, John, I saw you up on stage once. And I said, well, if he could do it, I can do it. <laughs> he, <laughs> goes, he goes, what kind of compliment is that? <laughs> and we both started laughing, but I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Oh, yeah, he's of amazing. Course.
2: I worked with him once or twice. And
3: Yeah, he, I know, you, I know I was, you. Yeah, yeah, he's just, he, he, um, he could be one of the wittiest person ever, ever to take the stage. I mean, his, uh, his, his crowd
2: work, his improv, his ad-libbing is just uh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, he's one of those guys when you work with him and you think you have a good set and you're on cloud nine then you're in the back of the room and you're having a drink and you try to enjoy it and then he goes up in three minutes in and you start questioning why the hell you ever started doing stand-up ever in the first yeah, place.
3: Yeah. It's funny you said that, Sean, because I had that experience with Pat Cooper. I opened up for Pat Cooper for a while. And the first time that I opened up for Pat Cooper was in a, a theater in Randolph, New Jersey. It was about a 1,000 people. And he goes, Can you? He comes up and he goes, Look at you, you friggin' moron. He goes, Do you have 20 minutes? I said, Well, yeah, no, I, I got 20 minutes. He goes, Can you do 30? I said, No, I, I can do 30. He goes, Well, then do 25. <laughs> right? So, so I said, Okay. I said, I'll do 25. He goes, And don't fuck it up. So I, the place is packed I go out there my mother's in the crowd I mean so uh as the comedy gods would have it I probably had one of the top five sets of my life I did 30 minutes and it was just I don't know whatever was in the air I, I just couldn't do anything wrong I was so proud of myself I went to the back of the audience, uh, right behind all the thousand people. And I wanted to watch Pat Cooper. And I introduce him and he, and he comes out there and he made my set look like an open mic set. <laughs> and, and he just, dis- he did an hour and he destroyed, I mean, beyond. And I just went, and I and I just I remember driving home, going, I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. You know what I mean? And it was so it was so humbling. You know what I mean to see somebody so professional. You know to let me know how much
2: further away I am from from being that that pro. And I'm, was, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Pat Cooper, and when I when I watch, you know, and listen to like I even have a lot of his records too. And yeah. when you listen to it and you watch it, you realize how many people really are influenced by him. Oh, as yeah. Far, as he's, far as the local Italian comics and, and things like that, you really see yeah. It's amazing.
3: Sean, he's the godfather of Italian comedy.
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just know bad about it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people today who don't know who he is, yeah. you know, don't, and don't know anything about him. You know, without Pat Cooper, there's no there's no sebastian sure. you know what i mean you know, you know, there's no me there's no victor Petitetto, there's no and uh, there's there's no none of these guys you know what i mean he you know italian comedy i mean i you got to give credit to sebastian because italian american comedy i mean he he he's he put he put a lot of comedians on the map absolutely you know what i mean italian comedy was never you know the flavor of the day until you know sebastian you know just Blew, blew,
0: up up. Like a, yeah, blew up like a balloon. You know, now people see it. Sure. Hey John, when did you make the transition from stand-up then to radio? And how did you make that transition? Uh, I, it was uh, around 90, it was 96.
3: And um, uh, a buddy of mine from L.A. was auditioning for KTU in New York. And he asked me if I wanted to go on the air with him and, uh, and help him. And I, I didn't want to do it. Um, so he said, please, I need a favor. I'll give you a hundred dollars. Uh, you know, it's for a week. I'll give you a hundred dollars a day. And I'm like, um, I I said, I'll give you 200 and I, and I get somebody else. How's that? (laughs) I said, I'm not waking up at, uh, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning to go over and do that. I don't want to do it because I wasn't looking to get in the radio. So I did it after a week. I did, I, you know, he was a good friend. So I, I did it. I, I wouldn't take any money from him, nothing like that. So uh, we did it. And then after the thing, uh, the, the station director told me, he goes, uh, he goes uh, you guys aren't right or ready for mornings. He goes, but I'd love to give you the nighttime show over here at KTU from six to 10. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not, not really, really looking for a job, to be honest with you, you know. So at the time I was running a nightclub in Manhattan. So he says, look, he goes, um, he goes, I've been radio my whole life. He goes, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. This is your life's work. He goes, I know you don't understand that. And I said, he goes, I, I don't have a lot of money to give you. He goes, I, I, I can get you in the door. He goes, but trust me, you're supposed to do this. So he goes, you know, think about this. So I went home and I was like, uh, I never had anybody speak like this to me. It was like a moment of clarity. I, 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 I you know, I, I, I traditionally listened to no one. And uh, I went home and uh, I said, wow. I said, I can't ignore this. And I said, you know, the money's not what I want or what I want to do. I said, OK, you know, I'm going to do it. So I took the job and we went on at night. And then we became the number one station. We had the number one nighttime show. And then after two years, um, you know, they gave me a mornings. Do you remember his name?
0: Oh, the the, the
2: program director?
0: Yes. Oh, he's famous, Frankie Blue, yeah. Very famous program director. did he also do um, Z100 for years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he, you know, he goes, I've done this my whole life.
3: And, um, you know, for him to speak like that to me, you know, so I said, okay. You know, and, uh, you know, I mean, I had some experience in radio before, um, um, but nothing, you know, I, I never thought that, to be honest with you, I thought, you know, my radio career would probably go maybe two years, you know, and then I ended up like being there like 17 or whatever it was. I didn't think I was going to last that long. So and I'm very grateful for it and it worked out perfectly. And um you know, it, it helped my comedy career and everything else I did. So it was good.
0: It, it really worked out nicely. And speaking of everything else you did, something else I found out about you. You were an actor on a soap opera?
3: Yeah, a couple of soaps, yeah. yeah. Which ones? I think I know. Uh, one. Uh, one Life to Live and I think Days of Our Lives and something else. A couple of times I played myself.
0: And you're, but you're, you're acting a lot now. Didn't you just? Finish well, I'm, the do, I'm, I'm doing more. I have to say, um, and you know
3: yourself, Jeffrey. Um, uh, I've been very blessed with my um, with my radio career. Uh, you know that r- literally fell in my lap. Uh, my comedy career, I love and I, I worked on, and I've been fortunate with that. Uh, acting has been. Acting, for me, has been like walking in eight feet of mud. Every <laughs> inch. every I have to tell you, <laughs> and I'm not crying. I've never gotten a break. Everything I've done, I've, I've uh, you know, has been like that one inch at a time, one inch at a time. And I love it. And I love it. I really love it. Um, but um, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't experienced those blessings. Um, that I had in my other careers. But that's
2: not gonna stop me from doing it. Did you have that one moment in your career where like your family said to you like, wow, you've really made it? Oh yeah,
3: my mother. My mother came back, I was on KTU, I had the morning show, it was in early 2000s and my mother goes, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what? She goes, I went to get my hair done and they wouldn't charge me because I was Goomba Johnny's mother.
2: That's great.
3: And I'm like, really? Really? I
2: said <laughs> that. <laughs> I, had, I had two of them, Johnny. I had two yeah. of them, right? The first one uh, was the night that I got inducted into the Friars Club. Oh, and that's I, a big deal. And I brought my mom with me and, and my wife, and then my mom texted me. I was on the fifth floor or fourth floor, and she's in the basement. And I, my text was, okay, this is pretty fucking cool. That's the only, <laughs> and that's the only acknowledgement. Now I have a second one. My godmother, who is like my second mother in the world, right. uh, texted me the other day, and she was like, uh, uh, "You know how how's everything going? How's you know? I know you're not doing comedy." I'm like, "Yeah, it's tough." You know, she's only seen me like perform twice in twelve years, and she goes, I, "What's this podcast that you're doing?" and I start telling her, I'm "Like, yeah, we interview comics, or we interview artists." She goes, "Well, who's on the show?" And I tell her some of the people, and she goes, ah, I have I never heard of them." I go. Well, we have Goomba Johnny coming on next week. And she goes, mm-hmm. you gotta be fucking kidding me. And she started of freaking <laughs> out for four minutes. I'm like, all right, I guess I made it. So well, I, like, I, I need to know when it's on. I just tell him I said hello. I used to listen to KTU. to you. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ.
3: Sean, sure, I got to tell you a funny story. woman, somebody introduced me. We were somewhere. I was on the radio. And it's probably at the height of my career. And some somebody goes, do um, you know who this is? And that's always embarrassing. Um, and he go, she goes, no, he goes, that's Goomba Johnny. So the woman goes, you're not Goomba Johnny. I said, no, yes, no, he's right, I am. She goes, you're not Goomba Johnny. I said, no, Miss, please. She goes, you are not Goomba Johnny. And I said, Miss, if I was gonna impersonate a celebrity, it would not be Goomba Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I said, I said I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm no big deal. And that's one of the good things about radio, Sean. When you're on the radio, Nope. They don't, people don't treat you like you're a celebrity. They listen to you five days a week, four hours a day, or at least an hour a day or whatever it is. And they know what color your car is. They know your mother's name. You're their friend. Right. So as part as like being like a celebrity celebrity, I, I don't really think I've, I've ever experienced that. I mean, I, 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 I can tell you one thing I've never felt that way. Like, you know, Hey, I, I was a big deal or something like that. Although I've, I felt like I was a big deal because, you know, when I was on the radio, I got to interview a lot of people who were, you know, who were very, very famous. And, well, it's a,
2: it's a great thing about staying humble too, and I, I preach that with everybody. As long as you yeah. keep staying humble, the good things keep you, will always keep coming to you. Always keep coming your way. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 I've I've done a lot of things, and I have to say,
3: and I think Jeffrey will agree with this that um. All the organizations and groups and everything that I've done in my life, you know, including sports, I am most proud of being a comedian. Uh, It's the greatest group of people. It's not perfect, but it's almost perfect. It's the greatest group of people, the uh, camaraderie camaraderie, um, that I've ever been associated with. It's the only job I've ever had where you can like come off stage and then somebody will say to you, "My God, I wish I wrote that joke," and actually, actually mean it, like you know, like in other words, that was fantastic, you know. And um, it's just uh, men and women; it, it's just a great,
2: it's a great group of people.
3: The comedian,
2: you got to yeah, remember very- too, like we're all a little touched if we have if we do comedy. We're all we're we're all not right in some way. Yeah. So if you take like ten people who are just not right in some way, and you put them all together. We kind of understand each other. And we yeah. kind of understand why we do this, how we get into the mindset of doing this, what we yeah. go through when we when we're not doing well. We all understand that. So yeah, we definitely gravitate towards each other. I, I, I yeah. tend to agree with that.
3: Yeah, I love comedians. And, you know, when there's like a half a dozen comedians around and kicking around punchlines, there's nothing better than that. You know, you know, just shooting the crap and, you know, just telling story after story. It's great. Comedians are fantastic.
0: They yeah. are. You know, I wanted to steer this a little bit more towards the music side, because that's what we do on this show. We talk uh, music. And when I was going back and forth with you, it was really hard to try to to pigeonhole you into who your favorite band was. So we kind of generalize with with genres of music. And you're a big freestyle guy and a classic rock guy. Very, very different.
3: Yeah, very different. I mean, the freestyle, I, I, you know, was, you know, totally reinforced by KTU. It's still big today. These are songs that were wrote and sung and performed in the 80s that people still make living off of. You know, Judy Torres travels all around the country. Yeah, but to sold out shows, and yeah. singing, singing the same songs that are 30 years old. Yeah. I mean, that, that says something about that type of music. I mean, they call them, there are freestyle freaks. And there are freestyle shows all around the country Ooh, wow. now. And, and, and they sell out and the people love it. They love Judy Torres. They love TKA. They love George Lamont, Koro, uh, Cynthia, Johnny-O, um, uh, Fantasia. I can go on, Naomi, I can go on and on. These people are all still working
0: on, on their efforts from the eighties. They package him in in these, you know, collaborative shows where they'll have like eight artists, they come on, do like two or three songs, and they keep the show moving. Like, I when I think about the freestyle, I, I go back, I can think of groups like uh, Expose and uh, Noel. And yes. would you say it goes even further back to someone like Africa, Bombada, and the um, uh, Soul Sonic Force? Well, yeah, I mean, the, yes, definitely. Um, you know, their influences
3: uh, and their contributions are are definitely part of that genre. I, I think you're right on that. And you know your music by saying that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm amazed. And I think everybody who, um, you know, because, you know, when I was at KTU, I would go, we would have these freestyle concerts and these kids would come who are like young. And I'm like, you like this music? And they're going, that's all I heard in my house growing up this is what my mother played. I love this music. And I started to laugh because that's what happens. You know, your mom plays the music, you grow up with it and, and you know, it's in the house
0: and you hear it. And like you get these kids who weren't even around during freestyle, who love freestyle. You know what, John, I'm gonna tell you something that Sean doesn't even know, okay? When I was in, I was in college, I put myself through by owning a small record store. What yeah. I used to do on the weekends on Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoons. me and my friend Matt LeBeau were the house DJ over at the Fort Hamilton's Officers Club in, um, in Brooklyn. Right. You know, you know that place is still around. I, I'm not familiar with it, but I, I, I assume it's uh, something to do, sounds like it's something to do with the Army. It, it, it is. And, but they would have, but, you know. As if you had a family member, they would have uh, functions as so we have weddings, sweet sixteen, right. all, type of, all type of stuff. And I would MC, my friend Matt would would, would spin the record. We both select uh, the music. And even though I was a rocker, I had to know my disco and freestyle music back then. And this was like around the uh, right around that time, about the mid eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. But, um, you know, all that being said,
3: when I work out and when I run, I listen to classic rock. Who do you listen to? Who are your bands there? Um, I used to really be into Aerosmith, but I don't. Um, I, I, I hate to say that I, I'm just like I'm at the time where I'm giving it a break. Uh, but I like I love Peter Frampton. Uh, oh, it was the first concert I ever went to at Madison Square Garden. Um, I like Van Halen um old van halen with uh david lee roth i like the stones um you know stuff like that um you know i have i have pretty for someone that worked at a radio station and you know uh, we were the number one dance station in the country um yeah. i didn't just listen to that you know what i mean i li- i, I kind of it's kind of weird because you know I would go to KTU and I would hear the dance music all day long, and um, I would go home in the car and I would listen to rock. Sure. You know what I mean? I I don't know.
2: You know. I always I always say I was <clears throat> brought up on country on one end and rock and metal on the other, and I never really talk about the middle ground, which was my godmother because I spent so much time with her in the car. She would take me to the mall and stuff like that. And let me tell you, freestyle was all she listened to so like i always say i pray to god that i never like die in a car accident because if they take my phone and they look through all my music and my phone you're gonna think i'm a complete sociopath because i go from metallica and slayer to stevie b and lanier and george lamont and my phone right. It's, right. ridic- it's ridiculous. I, I, I was, again, I was probably, you know, 11, 12, 13 when all these songs were coming out. And I can remember how gigantic yeah. they were. Yeah. I mean, I looked at well, my phone. I have 164 freestyle songs on my phone. Yeah, no. And, 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 and no one and, would ever look at me and ever think
3: that I would be listening to this stuff, you know? Well, you, you, you're not alone. I got Jimi Hendrix and I have the Spice Girls in the same <laughs> on the same phone. <laughs> Johnny, I would never admit that ever again. <laughs> I know. Well, I used to. You know, I worked with. I, we worked with the Spice Girls. You know, I've interviewed them several sure. times. You know, we used to play all their music. So um, there it's, was a lot. It's
2: a, it's a great. I, I like in the freestyle era to kind of like the '80s hair metal era, because yeah. they do put out a lot of package tours, and there's 1,500 people every single time. Freestyle. You know, people. People ask me. Uh,
3: uh, often I often I get asked, uh, when do you think freestyle will die? And I'm like, really? I said, you can't answer that question. I said, this is 80s, 90s, the zeros. Now we're into the 20s, and it's still going. It's, I said, these artists are still alive. These artists are like in their 50s. Sure. And they're performing the same songs, and people are give, giving them the same love, the same response. And it's just, it, it's a real, it's a beautiful thing. It's like this weird mystery, like, uh, you know, and then you say to yourself, well, if it's successful over 30 years, um, how, come this, how come they just don't come up with more freestyle songs?
2: You know what I mean? It's different because the, you know, the music does evolve and it does change. Right. I, I had heard last week, and it was, you ever have one of those moments of clarity where it's like you, you hear something and then everything just falls into place. So the guy, I was doing a podcast and someone said to me, the music that you still listen to today is the stuff that you loved when you were 13. And I went, and I had to look back and I'm saying to myself, oh my God, this is the most perfect thing. I because it's still for me, it's Guns N' Roses, it's right. Motley crew, and then it's this stuff, and then it's the, the country that was out in the 80s, and that's all the stuff that I listened to from that time period. And that's why these shows are so successful, because now people who are going to these freestyle shows right. go when they were 13, 14 years old, when the stuff was really popular and really hot. Now they're in their 40s and their 50s and they have the money that they can go to these shows and they want to relive a little bit of their youth and all the great music that came from there. A hundred percent. You know, people don't see it this way, but music is like comfort food.
3: Sure. You know, they don't they they don't view it that way, but it is like comfort food and it brings you back to a place in your life um, where you have some really fabulous memories, uh, you know, with with family and friends and uh, music never lets you down. Yeah, never lets you down. It always delivers.
0: Uh, freestyle is always uh, sometimes called Latin freestyle. Was there another <laughs> type of uh, freestyle besides Latin freestyle? I, I, you know what, I wouldn't go that
3: way because um, what, what was one of the uh, uh, results of freestyles in the 80s, and <clears throat> I'm older than you guys, so I was able to see this. Freestyle was the bridge that connected the. I'm talking about the Bronx Yonkers scene and and really where this all came out. Um, freestyle was the bridge that connected Latins and Italians. That was that was the music. Um, you know, when I was growing up, they had black clubs, Puerto Rican clubs, you know, and Italian clubs. You know where You know, people hanged up or Irish bars and so on and so forth. People didn't, you know, party together. But when freestyle came. Man, uh, the Italians and the Latinos, boom, they had something in common. Take the shirts off, show the gold trains, and just start dancing and sweating. And that was really, <clears throat> to see that happen, that was a really interesting thing. And I saw it in a, you know, I saw it at KTU because we played the music. You could see it in the demographics. We were an Italian, Latin station. That's what KT was. KT was an Ita- Italian, Latin, gay station. Those, those, those are the people that listened to us. You know what I mean? Those were the groups. And uh, those were the groups we served. And the music we played served those groups. And it was, it was freestyle,
0: and it was house music, and um, classic disco. And today, would you say freestyle has evolved into, like, pitbull music like that? I just think freestyle has free uh
3: for many people freestyle is is today's oldies. Hmm.
0: You know what I mean? You know how um WCBS is gonna wind up playing uh I don't know if WCBS, WCBS will play with it,
3: but it, it 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 it's taken the form for some older people, it's taken the form of like let's say what doo wop is to you know, to people in seventy five and the eighties, you know yeah. what I mean? It's their, you know, it's their oldies. And like what Sean, you know, to what Sean said about the music when you're 13, you know, you take it with you. Right. I think, I right. think that's,
2: a, I think that's a, a great observation. Yeah, it blew, it blew my mind when I heard that. It really did because like, I, I'm a big vinyl collector. I love collecting records. And so like, for me, I realize now like, why am I having such a hard time finding these records that I want and it's from like 91, 92 when they stopped making records and they were doing CDs now, like i'm always yeah. on the hunt for everything i'm always on the hunt for is between 89 and 93 oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the, they just stopped making them you know now i Well, wow. you know, i'll it tell you
3: it, it it it's great now the access that you can have to music especially if you go on apple and oh, you get <clears throat> and you get apple radio or whatever but yeah. um you know, it got to a certain point, you know, when I was on the radio where I would go home and I would just listen to, you know, talk, sports talk. I wanted to hear voices.
2: Well, sure, like the last thing you want to do when you get off stage doing comedy is, is put on a standup set on the way home. Uh, yeah, that's for... <laughs> The last thing you want to do. You know how many times my friends would say, hey, you're off on Saturday night, you want to go see a comedy show? I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? I'm not going to a comedy show and I'm off. you out of your mind? No. I know. It is. It, is you, it the, is. you gotta turn the brain off after a while.
3: Yeah. What What do you think is going to happen with comedy going forward? How do you guys see that?
2: I don't think we're going to be on big stages for a while. I think through the year, personally. I mean, I've sent out. I mean, I've sent out some stuff for places in the Midwest because they seem to be a little more uh, uh, open to reopening quicker. Right. But they already said twenty-five to thirty percent capacity pay is gonna be cut, is it worth it, you know? Is it worth me driving to Iowa to spend a week out there for, and then what am I gonna do, break even on the way back? Yeah, it's just not, it's just I not, know, but I'm you dying. gotta get on stage. I'm dying, I'm dying yeah. of painful yeah. death right now. Do, we're doing Zoom comedy, that's what we're doing now, we're doing Zoom comedy. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I don't, you know, I didn't
3: realize how affected I would be personally by yeah. not, not being on stage.
2: You know. Oh yeah. Well Jeff'll Jeff will tell you I had great timing. I had great timing. I, I made
0: the jump to go full time <laughs> comedy on Valentine's Day. Oh really? my god. Three really? weeks later, oh. he's not gonna be on stage for another year. Yeah, I think it's yeah. gonna I think it's gonna be slow increments and it's gonna take time. And I think it's not gonna be some time until if we're lucky in two thousand and twenty one that um we'll see maybe full capacity and I don't think people feel hundred percent confident until there's some type of vaccination that's going to, you know, it's going to give people, you know, where they're going to want to feel need to need, you know, with somebody.
3: Yeah. Well, I definitely that's think, yeah, I definitely think Jeff and Sean, I think uh, one thing for sure, New York will be the last market to open up. Yeah. Probably. I think, I, yeah, I think we'll be working outside of New York.
2: Oh, well, yeah, without question. I mean, yeah. I saw an interview with uh, Caroline from, from Caroline's, and she was like, yeah, we're at the last phase of stage four.
3: Yeah, so, and, yeah, they so, said so, that, entertainment. You know?
2: yeah. And if, uh, you know, if Broadway made the decision to go September 7th, they're
0: going to go along with Broadway, I, I tend to think.
2: That's just
0: that, tentative right now. Yeah. That's, they can't keep pushing the bar back further and further. That's just a delay. It. If there's an uptick. If there, if if we have we reverse if we don't move forward at the progress that we're doing, they're just gonna keep moving it back. If if they're not ready to open Broadway by the middle of September, you're gonna see it wiped out for the rest of the year, right from that point on. I, I,
2: I do think in our
0: area we're not gonna have it for the rest of the year.
2: I, he, he,
3: it's it's really it's really interesting. I mean, because we are the center of it, we are literally you know, right here. Uh so we're gonna be the last to uh to roll out everything.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, John, I wanna want to ask you, that uh, you brought up this point. I'm I'm waiting to to shoot a movie. Okay? Right. When do you think they're gonna start opening up production on being able to do this type of work?
3: Well that's a good point. Um I I um I spoke to um uh I was I had a conversation with with Charles Palmeteri the other day, and I, you know, I figured you know if anybody would know, he would know. And um, he says um, he hasn't gotten any signals about when it's going to start up or how they're going to do it. It's going to be different. It might be different where they shoot it in more isolated areas. Um, Crowd scenes. How do you do something like that? I, I don't. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, or they're going to have to computer generate crowds, and they're going to use. use Use less, right? Is it going to use? I mean, look at the movie Gladiator, you know, that Coliseum scene. That was all computer generated. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They only had like maybe, you know, the first five rows filled
0: up with people. You know, I mean, they have the means to do it. Then, but maybe. A script scene, a restaurant scene. What is it? Every day, these characters and movies, now it's going to be, you know, uh, no one's in the restaurant anymore. It's just going to be the dialogue between the two principals. I don't know, but maybe they'll they'll have more movies that are like
3: you remember the breakfast club? Yeah, All sure. All right. It was shot in the library. That's it. It was the library. Maybe Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. No. no, but you know what I'm saying?
2: I mean, maybe the shows you'll have more well, dialogue you'll have more dialogue driven yeah. movies than Well, that
3: that's one thing that uh, uh that Chaz told me. He said that uh he goes uh these big productions on Broadway might not be back. It might be more one
0: man shows like his show. But, and, yeah, but if you're going to do, do that, that, you have the one man show, what are you going to do as audience? Are you still going to pack the audience or are you going to go 25% of the audience as well? I, well, let me put it you this way. If you can get up to, if,
3: if you could do one man shows and you have 50% of the audience, um you definitely have reduced your cost more than 50. You know what, I mean? you know what it costs to do the Lion King or, or, or the Aladdin on, on uh, Broadway? You have to have a full house. Right? Yeah. Was, so uh, if, you, if, if, you, if this business goes towards one-man shows, what is it? Have you ever seen Chaz's show? Yeah. All right, it's him. It, it's him and a chair. That's all it is. It's him and a chair. And it's unbelievably enta- entertaining. It, it's a work of art. And it's just, he comes up there, he has a chair and a microphone and that's it, that's his show. And he does the show and it's unbelievable. So it can be done, you know what I mean? It can be done and, and maybe that's what the future looks like.
2: There was a club in, um, I think it's, Arcan- maybe it's either Arkansas or Kansas that is uh, selling tickets for the first show back. It's a music act. And awesome. The place holds eleven 1, hundred and twenty-nine people at capacity. They're selling two hundred and twenty-nine tickets for the show, and they showed the seating chart. and Think of um, think of it as like a smaller scale Beacon Theater. Okay, so it's a, a thousand seats. What they're doing is they're doing two on the aisle, five empty seats, two on the two more, five empty seats, four more, five empty seats, and then they're skipping a row in between. And this is comedy. It's uh, music. So think of it that way. That that's that's what they're trying to push for—a music act. I could see you enjoying music that way. I don't know what the last would be like as a comedian. I, I, I yeah. music, you can still
0: pull that off. I don't know how you can, eat. You can try to do that. Try that type of seating at the St. George Theater. Yeah, the St. St. George Theater—you could still probably fit about. 800 people in there and I'll have plenty of room and you wouldn't they, even, not even look packed. St. George Theater, right, sits 1,800 people. And when nobody's there, it is cavernous because the ceilings are so high. Sure. Oh, we, it, forget about it. Right. So you could, it looks good if you could just say, fill the first section on the bottom, then that, right. that, okay. But when you start having to spread people out in that place, it's, it could be brutal, and it's not conducive to laughter.
3: Well, you know, I mean, let's take it one step further. What about possibly doing
2: comedy outdoors? Well, That's what's happening now. I uh, know. Today, I I actually scouted a place in my hometown here. I'm like, you know what? I can definitely do something here. It's got a huge little amphitheater covered. It, it's yeah. huge open grounds. You can space people out. You know, oh, John... And Jeff I had, does his show in, uh, in Linden.
0: I had both John and Sean, you know, and I'll have you guys there this year. But so far, I haven't been told no. They just haven't said yes, either. They haven't said we're, cut, we're, we're not doing it. But they, they just keep saying, let's see. Let's see. And, you know, I have a feeling we will be able to do something. We will probably have to space it out.
2: Yeah. I think, I think the governor opening the beaches this week is going to be a big uh, turning point for a lot of things like that.
0: And Atlantic City is doing the um, at, at uh, the AC jokes. They, those guys are doing a driving uh, outdoor show this weekend.
3: Right. I, I will. I will tell you this: the casinos at a certain point will go forward. I don't think they'll have. I don't think they're going to have a choice
2: after June first. They're already starting to take reservations now for after June first for
3: hotel. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I know. I have a. I have a. I have an August date. At Foxwoods. Well, it's all on August 29th So Hope and pray. Who knows? You know what I mean. The only one thing is we don't know, and you know we. You know the interesting part about this is when do you let people out? What's the tipping point? What's the tipping point where it's it, keeping people in will totally destroy the co- economy, and then. You know, keeping people at home will be saving lives. There's a tipping point, sure, where, where you're going to have to let people out because people are going to either you. What's your option? Die from the from the virus or die from poverty? Right. You know what I mean. Georgia,
2: Georgia and Texas just announced that they, you know, their numbers still are dropping after they reopened slightly. So well, because- you know the. The good news is, Sean and, and,
3: and Jeff, the good news is this. As quickly as this came, with the grace of God, maybe there will be some type of, of miracle out of nowhere where they figure out how to control it or how to suppress it or how to treat it. Um, and why I say that, why I have hope is because typically, you know, a country has a problem, like United States, China or England. This is a world problem you have the whole world working on this right now and the whole world very rarely works on anything so now that the whole world is working on this i expect something to happen because this is you very rarely see the world united on anything right and
2: Let's so just, they share information the right way too yeah for the betterment of everything
3: so we'll, we'll 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 see what happens but um this is you know very interesting dynamics uh, you know, yes, you know.
0: These are crazy you know. times. But giant uh, we so appreciative of your time. Thank oh, you no. so much for coming on and doing this, man. Thank you. How, how long have you guys been doing this? This is your, episode what? 12? We have timing. We have great time we started this at the beginning of the year, right, right before yeah. the pandemic started. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. You got yeah, it in, in, in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, we have a beautiful studio, but we're stuck yeah. in our man caves right now. Yeah. You got to see this. When this is over, you'll come, you'll come in. You got to see the studio where we normally shoot this at. We do it at Beat Terrific Studio in Secaucus. And sure can tell you, it is top of the line. It is so great. And we'd love oh, yeah. to have you in sometime. Yeah, sure, sure.
3: And uh, how funny is Jared? He's great. Really, I love Jared. Oh, my God. I really enjoy his comedy. I get to work with him a lot at Stand Up New York. Right, right. Very, very funny. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat dinner. So am I. Because Sean, that's this is this this is I'll do my imitation of the, the pandemic. Go to bed, wake up, look at my wife and ask her,
0: What's for dinner? <laughs> Every five minutes. What's for on, dinner? On that note. <laughs> thank you so much, John. Thank you, man. Thank see you. It was, a, it was an
3: honor to be on anytime.
0: I hope to see Thanks you guys care. soon. Absolutely. Care, everybody. Bye. 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 Share the podcast with us, everybody. Please share. Let your friends know. Um, thank our guests, uh, Johnny Solano, Goomba Johnny, and Jared uh, Freed. We really appreciate it. Parting words, Sean. Um,
2: just from George Carlin don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff.
0: All right, buddy. I will talk to you soon. Until next week, everybody. everybody.